That's better than the actual tune, isn't it? <laughs> Salutations and welcome to another edition of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hi! How you doing, Jojo B? I am all good. I am sweltering and really hot. And, and sweating. I can't, yeah, and I can't cool down and all of that London complaining about the summer stuff. You complain about London summers, London winters, London autumns. I London. love London autumn. Christmas in London is the best time of year ever. But you complain about a cold throughout the winter, and then as soon as the summer hits, you just complain about the summer because it's too hot. So it's either no, too cold in, in the winter, or too hot. In the winter, you people down here don't seem to be have like grit to put down on the on the roads. We have grit in Newcastle. We have sand in Newcastle to put down. That's, on what, the that's roads. what you make your houses out of. But also so that the snow doesn't stay on the street, and so I don't fall down and kill myself. And then in the summer. Oh my God, everyone stinks. And it's just really hot. There's no air conditioning anywhere. So that's why I complain. Yeah, it's just the problem is like, and it's, and it's not just you. You're, you're basically a, a metaphor of what's worst about British people is that they just constantly complain when it's too cold. And then they just constantly complain when it's just too hot. So throughout the year, you wonder why typical England always moans about typical England. It's because... It's just one constant complaint for like 365 days of the year. But we're made for the mild. We're You're a, made for the mild. The mi- no, this nation is made for the mild. So if you go somewhere abroad and they have extreme weather, so like say like Canada, I've not been to Canada personally, but if you go to Canada, I've heard they deal with the snow very, very well and they have a system in place. They deal with the heat very well because they have fucking air conditioning and so everything takes along nicely and no one has to complain but here we have no air conditioning anywhere and we have no ability to deal with half an inch of snow so that means that we don't actually manage to deal with any kind of fairly extreme weather like we've had this year with the beast from the east and now this kind of crazy summer so that's why i complain we're made for the mild in this country (laughs) I like to think the the melanin in my system allows me to absorb this heat. You know, like a, like, like a solar powered superhero. I like being in the heat. Like Talking I like being outside, and I like you know frolicking. But I have to go to work. Actually, at work we've got air conditioning at the right temperature, and it's amazing. It's the pl- first place I've worked where they have the temperature perfect. Yeah, you actually said you were actually happy to go into work the other day because. Uh, the, the aircon compared to yeah. our um, deluxe industrial size fan in our... You mean um, our crappy Sainsbury's fan that just blows hot air around? You just find newer and newer <laughs> ways to like trash our life 
Like, you know, not content with doing it to me every day. Now you're telling all our listeners Look, about how shitty our life is. Let's just admit it that we don't live the life of Riley. And most of the people who are listening probably have a Sainsbury's fan as well and are suffering the same way that we are. Well, instead of doing all of that, why don't you go, I'm talking to our people out there. Why don't you go out and celebrate, enjoy the amazing weather while we've got it? Because pretty soon in the next couple of months, it's going to go back to shit. And then everyone will just be complaining about, oh, do you remember when it was really, really hot? And we just sat there and complained about it the whole fucking time. And Look, now people I wish still that was talk back. about the summer of 76 because this is, that was the last time we had a summer like this. And people still say, oh my God, it was really hot. And oh my God, we had droughts. And oh my God, it was a nightmare. Anyway, as long as there's people like you in this country, that will always happen. We got free ice cream at work today, though. Oh, did you? What yeah. ice cream was it? Mr. Whippy. Oh, really? Actual Mr. Whippy yeah. from the ice cream van? Yeah. And because I'm gluten-free and not allowed a cone, they gave me a cup. Big up, <laughs> Mr. Whippy. meant to get cups out. I absolutely adore Mr. Whippy. Like it's if you go if I go anywhere to an ice cream round, that is my ice cream of choice. And it's gotta be with the single flake and strawberry sauce. If it's one of those elements missing from it, I don't want it. Well, because they weren't meant to give out cups, they were only meant to give out cones and they made a special exception for me. I wasn't allowed to have a flake, which is really sad because <laughs> everybody else got one. In your face. Uh, and they don't have the red sauce. By the way, do you know in Newcastle that we what we call the red sauce? What do you call it? Monkey's blood? What the fuck? <laughs> it's such a... I think it's a very Geordie thing. I've never heard it anywhere else. Monkey's blood. But when we were kids, we used to say kind of ice cream with a flake and, and monkey's blood, please. Okay, it says a lot about that city, <laughs> isn't it? it? says a lot about your people. I've no idea where it comes from. If any Geordies out there are listening and they know where it comes from, please let me know. Yeah, please let us know and stuff and make sure we don't ever visit there again. Just in case they end Strawberry up. Strawberry sauce is some mm, 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 monkey's blood. When, uh, fuck off. Stop saying that. I actually like, I actually like, I was about to say, I actually like monkey's blood. <laughs> yes, actually, you do. I do you not love like, it. You love it. Absolutely no strawberry sauce all day, every day, fam. But anyway, uh, oh, did you see that thing I sent you? JME actually tweeted out uh, a gluten free cornettos. What? And yes, I tweeted at you, but obviously, like you do in your. Okay, so Jojo B has this habit of. One, never answering her calls when I'm calling her. Two, never replying to any social media messages that I send through to her. But if I don't answer her straight away when she's calling me, it's like panic stations. But when when did you... Because well, I, I never have my phone near me, right? And I, he always does. So I know that there's something wrong. If you have he your phone. It's selective. It's selective. Uh, it's on silent constantly. And it's usually turned to the screens on the table. But when did you send me this? I sent it to you earlier, to probably about 10 hours ago. Yeah, but I was at work and I've had like, I'm not going to bore you with the details of my stressful day at work, but I had a stressful day at work. Yeah, but then you still managed to go on to WhatsApp and you still managed to check all the other social media shit. Not really, not until I got on the train or home. So you did see it. Oh, I didn't go on Twitter and well, the exactly. I fell asleep instead. <laughs> Jojo B, the problem is, right, so Jojo B never answers the phone and never checks any messages. So my emergency point of contact, if something happens to me, is my mum. That's okay. She gave birth to you. It's fine. Yeah, because um, you know she's the most important woman in my life. So that's fair enough. I won't compete with your mum because your mum's amazing. But amazing because she answers a call. Does she though? Yes, she does. Sometimes not. Well, sometimes I've got to call. Sometimes <laughs> if a mobile's not there, and I've got to call her landline phone. Um, between the two of them, she's there. But obviously, better. You know, it takes a while for it to get. If the phone's downstairs and she's upstairs, it does take her a long it, time to get is, down the stairs. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm patient. You know, if I'm dying, I'll wait a little while longer and make sure mum gets to the phone first before they could administer any emergency aid. Look, 
I have you and your mum down as my emergency contacts because my dad's too far in Newcastle now, so there's no point in having him there. So it's fine. We both have your mum down as emergency contacts. Exactly, which means I cannot rely on Jojo B. But what I can rely on is me because I, yours truly, uh-huh. was on BBC Asian Network this past Saturday. Jojo. Oh, were you? Yeah. I'd actually uh, done a segment on Emily and Mawan's show on uh, Saturday afternoons. Uh, this segment was called Twinkle Twinkle Spit Some Bars. And yours truly spat some bars about supply teachers. Interesting. Yeah, I think that what they're trying to do is they're trying to pick topics that were, um, you know, would aimed at younger children. So they were trying to get people to come on there and spit some positive bars about, you know, things that are happening uh, that would uh, relate to young kids. So supply teachers was my subject and I spat a verse about supply teachers. And, I hope um, you were kind and I, nice. Do you know what I was? I, was, I, talked, to, I talked from experience back in, back in my days. All our supply teachers were either Aussies or Kiwis. It's because you're from London. So where were all the supply teachers from? Newcastle mostly. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. local. We had the greatest supply teacher ever, Mr. McDonald. And I still remember him because he was the best. He, <laughs> Our teacher had a, like our proper teacher had a nervous breakdown. And I think that An was... actual nervous breakdown? Yeah. That's not I a think... laughing matter. Joe no, Jibby. it's not. But I, And I think our class somehow kind of just brought it on a bit quicker. I think she already had what issues. What a surprise. Someone, someone threw her favorite pen up and it got stuck in the ceiling tile. <laughs> Do you know what? That's a, okay. So th- this is the same town that calls like strawberry sauce monkey's blood. Not only that, they torture and torment like innocent teachers in schools, and then they wonder why it's looked at as a bit of a laughing stock in the UK. Mrs. Morrow, bless her. She she just she didn't like children. But anyway, so she had. Why nervous, would I like those children? She she had a nervous breakdown, and then we got Mr. McDonald. This okay. is the history of my primary school, basically. And, and he used school. to tell us these amazing stories about <laughs> oh, about like really nasty teachers or really nasty children. So there'd be stories about how um, teachers would like remember those desks where you used to have the bits where you could lift up and you could put yep, stuff yep. in them that they would put scissors in there so that you opened it and when the kids put their hands in there it chopped their fingers off. what the f- what the <laughs> like fuck? really gruesome stories that obviously kids absolutely adore genuinely i went to the best school ever and mr mcdonald was one of the best teachers ever but there was a range of very good teachers in that school yeah primary it, school it all sounds extremely horrific and slightly brutal but then that's Newcastle as, as, as in general, to be fair. No, it um, was the best. It was run by ex-hippies. So we used to sing Bob Dylan songs and stuff. That's what, do you know what? I also got that when I was in school. Most of our school assemblies, the songs that we'd sing were all like crazy drug-induced yeah. folk songs. You know, like, we, I remember we sung Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds once. Yeah, we did that as well. That's a song about LSD. Yeah. And then we sung like, you know, um, you know, the answer, my friend is blowing in yeah, the Bob wind. Dylan, yeah. Yeah. And that was another song that was about hippie drug shit. No, he was trying to make a point about the way of the world in that, in that Probably song. Probably was on a lot of drugs when he wrote it, though. Well, it was, a it was all a lot of it was about Vietnam and how we have to like stay away from all that and be more peaceful. Yeah. You know, we, we learned all of that stuff. It was very fun. And I used to be in a steel pan band. I was, I was one of the cool kids. Big up yourself. We used to do gigs. I was on TV. I was uh, I was in uh, the Diwali play a few times. Who did you play, Robin? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. I was only joking. <laughs> <laughs>
No, I was actually rather. I was legitimately Raven. And it was, it was crazy because the the one the first year they asked me, can you play Raven? And I, and I didn't want to do it because I was like, everyone's going to hate me. And so I, I purposely didn't like turn up for any of the rehearsals and stuff. And so they, they, had, they got hired. <laughs> they paid for another actor to play the role instead. Uh, they got some other kid to play him. And then the following year, they asked me again, can you play Raven now? And I was like, okay, fine. So I bit the bullet um, and I was Raven. But it was it was nuts. Then my brother, who was a few years younger than me, in his Diwali play, he also played Robin. Really? So maybe it's a running theme. We've got like evil, like tyrant. It's just your faces, isn't it? <laughs> Face I that put... you married, so you're clearly uh, into some evil shit. I played the star in the nativity play, in reception. Because you're as big as one. We had to stand on one of those. You know those like um, gymnastic horse things that that you do gymnastics on. Kind of like as in a horse, yeah. But I had to stand on one of them with my arms out, wearing this like you've got like no balance yellow in, in life thing. No, not the bar, it's not the beam or anything. It was just but on like anything. Was, I was quite small, I was four, and the Feels horse like was quite big, so I had to stand on that with my arms out, just wearing this yellow thing to be a star, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. School was some crazy days, but I actually talk about a lot of this in this verse that I speak about uh, regarding supply teachers. So listen back to that. Let me know what you think. It's, it's kind of different from my crazy political conscious rhymes. But you know what? Barracuda is for the children, just like Wu-Tang. You know? um, talking of Asian Network, mm. guess who's on this week? Let me have a guess. You? Yeah. Big up Jojo B. I'm going to be on a ladies panel. Look at this. A panel of ladies. Yeah. Don't ask me what I'm talking about because I have no idea. Well, you know, they'll, they'll probably throw it on you two minutes before you go on. Yeah. Unprepared about, you know, statistics or something. What's, what, what is the subject? <laughs> what is the, the subject that you'd have the absolutely the least amount of knowledge for? Uh, wrestling. May I would properly prime you for the next few days to for you to become like a wrestling statistician. I'd rather not go on the show if that's what's going on. <laughs> but that's a big look for you, Jojo B, representing the native immigrants on Asian Network this Thursday. So by the time the show is out, it'll be out the next day. So make sure you tune in. I think it's about between 10 and 12. Yeah, somewhere around that time. Just don't make a fool of yourself, Jojo B. I'll try not You're to. You're representing us. It's the first time I've done this on my own. Yeah, I've had to let go of your hand and let you cross the road by yourself this time. I used to do radio on my own before, but then we weren't the native immigrants then. No. And I could say what I like because it was Newcastle Community Radio you Station. You couldn't really say what you like though, could you? I mean, I did most of the time. That's the reason you're not alone on that show anymore, are you? Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, but anyway... That will be something to look forward to this week. Um, also, a couple of things that we have been watching, uh, which is actually quite uh, relevant to our podcast. Uh, Ackley Bridge. Well, they just listened to our podcast and quickly <laughs> recorded a, a show and just shoved it onto TV. They just nicked everything that we spoke about. Oh, dear. Or maybe we're, we're taking elements from things that they've done in the past and trying to link it with we're, things that we're, we're just massively relevant. I think that's what, exactly what it is, <laughs> you know, because we are the epicenter of what's happening in the British Asian communities here in the UK. Yeah. And so everyone's tapping in. Everyone wants a piece of the action. So you're going to tell them which show we're on about? I will indeed. Uh, we did a show a couple of shows ago about Asian attitudes towards the LGBTQ plus community. 
And a lot of these things were actually addressed on Ackley Bridge as well in last week's episode. Like literally everything we spoke about pretty much. Yeah. It is a really good show. And you know what? It's fair enough. It's a little bit far-fetched at some points. But there's still a lot of problems on there that are so pertinent to our communities. And it's quite factual at the same time as being slightly silly. But how many shows are there with a bunch of Asians in the cast where they're not putting on a stupid accent? Well, mostly they're not putting on a stupid Some accent. Are. Yeah. But um and they're dealing with issues that are actually current and relevant yeah. to us as British Asians. And I think that's something that definitely needs highlighting, especially on, on mainstream TV. And we don't work for the production company, we don't work for Channel Four, nothing like that. It's just genuine love for the show. But talk about Channel Four, who is America? Has been on the past couple of weeks and that has been hilarious. Hilarious. But also so frightening. So frightening and so on point and just such genius from Sasha Baron Cohen. He's like I think he's the only person who could do this show. Probably the only one that actually has the goal to do yeah, this show. Because the things that he gets people to do and say Yeah. I don't think anyone else could keep a straight face mm. or, you know, avoid punching someone in the face from after hearing what they have to say. Like, he is brilliant. Yeah, he's awesome in it. Um, like, only kind of, I, I was reading a few things about the show and stuff and finding out some reviews and seeing what people were saying. Um, I kind of did agree to a point where he's only making stupid people look even more stupid. But these are stupid people that people have voted in yeah. and have faith in. You know, they're, they're government representatives mostly. Yeah, yeah. And so you think, how bad can they really be? And then you see how bad they actually really are. Yeah, no, definitely. But I just, I was kind of hoping maybe in the next few shows that they tackle some people that a lot of people have trust in. And Well, you say this, but the liberals that they have on there, so the people that, you know, the kind of slightly more left wing would probably have a bit of faith in. They seem to come across, he tries with them. He tries to kind of bait them and get them to say stuff. And they just come out with common sense or they just say, do you know what? This is a load of nonsense and what, like, we'll end the interview here. They don't get taken in by it. Yeah, Ted Koppel did that on the last show we saw. Um, but again, you know, he was still duped into it. And I think what he was trying to do, he was trying to highlight the stupidity of the, uh, the far right voter or the far right campaigner. Um, and just how ludicrous their thought processes are. Um, but I just hope that they he tackles a few people because it's easy to show someone that was already racist, that's already shown racist tendencies before this show was actually aired. But I think what people really wanted to see was those undercover racists, the people that come across one way and then are really their actual mindset is something completely different. But I think it kind of does that because it shows people that, yes, they might be right wing, but they... They show just how right wing they are, like the extreme that they will go to, the words that they will use and the the, the things that they will admit to believing in. Hmm. And I think that's what's quite shocking that, yes, they're right wing, but actually they're meant to be like just right of the center. That's how they portrayed themselves in their mainstream career, mostly. These days it's a bit different, but when he talks to some of the older politicians, it's really shocking actually how how far to the right they are. Yeah, yeah. It just highlights the massive problem that's happening in the States right now um, and then makes a mockery of it. And he's done that in the past with so many other aspects of that society. And Who is America does that in the most cringeworthy way. 
And you just think anyone in their right mind would say, I'm not going to do this in this scenario. I'm not going to be in one of your, you know, your promotional videos or whatever he gets them to do. And I'm not going to answer these questions. All he does is provide the um, ammunition. Yeah, the scene setting. <laughs> Literally in the space of that guy with the bunny gun. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Like you just, He just provides the scene for them. They say the words and they do the actions. And they fill the screen with their craziness. Yeah, exactly. He just provides the set. Yeah, he lays the ball out to them for them to knock it out of the park. Uh, but Who is America is on Channel 4, as well as actually Bridge, two shows that we're really watching and really enjoying at the moment. And I highly recommend that you do too. Right, that's the first half of the Native Immigrants podcast. On the other side, we'll be talking about our recent appearance in the Eastern Eye newspaper from last week and our topic of legendary British-Asian traits. <laughs> See you on the other side, people. Welcome back to the second half of this week's episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And this past week, Jojo B and I were featured in an article in Eastern Eye. Yes, we were. Big up my bro, Azjad Nazir, who is uh, a, a saint, really. He's featured us already previously before. He's also got me to see some of my favorite actors and actresses ever. Um and he's pushed your music career he's pushed my music career he's always supported always promoted and now in our latest venture the native immigrants podcast he gave us a full page in last week's paper it's awesome we it were is, in the paper yeah because uh we got our parents even said to us uh that oh you guys were featured in the paper the other day Aww. you know so yeah we're getting around to the aunties and uncles in Southall which obviously is our target audience. Um, but the topic that we spoke about in this article was a top 10 list. And this top 10 list was legendary British Asian traits. <laughs> uh, because, you know, like we, we got a chance to choose what we wanted to do a top 10 list about. And we could have chosen, you know, top 10 British Asian films or uh, top 10 British Asian music music artists or um books or things within the theatrical world we just decided to talk about our everyday lives instead yeah because that's pretty much what this podcast is about it's about a couple of british asians talking about things that we get up to on a weekly basis uh, and a lot of those will uh run into stereotypical issues within our communities and the cultural side of both of our two different cultures and how they clash a lot but a lot of similarities as well with our two cultures. That all Asians do. Yeah, stuff that Asians do, basically. That, um, you know, that are, I guess, quite... Quirky. Quirky is the word I'm looking for. Um, so we're going to address a few of those things right now. And let us know, people, whether you can relate to a few of these things. Because, uh, you know, that's what our show is about. It's about interaction. It's about being able to share the stories and experiences that you also have. Um, we're still looking for reviews and ratings on Show iTunes. Show us some love. Yeah, where's the love, people? 
You know, it's the summer of love at the moment. That's the thing, isn't it? Everybody's outside having fun. Exactly. And making love in the sunshine. So if you too are making love in the sunshine, throw us a review and rating uh, on Take iTunes. Take a break. Take a break in between your uh, coitus and <laughs> um, show an immigrant some love. Forget the cigarette. Do a review. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Forget the um, camera panning towards a fireplace or a flower bed, as most of our old school Bollywood films had. Um, and instead, pull out an iPad, pull out a laptop, just walk straight to your comp and give us a review or rating on iTunes and subscribe to us and also follow us on all our social media platforms. And tell all of your friends to listen to us. And physically get them to show you that they're listening to it by sending you uh, a screenshot that this is what they're doing. Do you think we've demanded enough? Um, yeah, we can't demand any more than that. Send us some mitai. Yeah, <laughs> send us some mitai. But anyway, we digress. Legendary British Asian traits, Jojo B. Uh-huh. So our list uh, compiled on Eastern Eye is something that we're going to go over now and also share a few along the way. Yeah. While we're talking. And we want to hear from you guys. Yeah. Tell us tell us <laughs> some of the things that your parents and your extended family and uh, people within your community get up to that are so typically Asian. Um, but that also adds to the charm of who we are and where we've come as a community in this country. Just makes us us, isn't it? It makes us us. Uh, but starting with something that makes us us, Jojo B., and I don't know whether you guys had this in your uh, monkey blood eating town. <laughs> Cling films on remote controls. Yes, I do remember that. And in fact, I'm going to admit something. Uh oh. I've done it with our new remote control. What? <laughs> I haven't put cling film on it. I've just left it in the plastic that it came in. Yeah, I, th- I kind of, I kind of feel that still. Does that still count? I like to, I like to think that's what. You it know. makes it really hard to use the control because it want it keeps wanting to like slip out of the plastic cover. Yeah, because it's not stuck to it. It's just like inside, like a plastic envelope. Yeah, we've got a little bit of sellotape that's just there, just like kind of just about yeah. holding on for dear life. But I, it's because it's so new and lovely, and I don't want it to get ruined. I think the main reasoning for this is to avoid your haldi stained fingers to fuck up our remote control. And I'm sure that's the same reason why a lot of our households did exactly the same thing growing up. Um, there's only so much dodka and uh, curry stains you can get on. Because your... all Asians eat their food around the TV. See now, is I this... don't know many that don't. I mean, only on Sundays did we sit around the table and not have the TV. Well, it was on in the background, obviously, because my dad couldn't live without it. But like, we would sit around the table then and have a proper meal together. Yeah. Otherwise, we all just sat you know, on the sofa, on the floor, wherever we could find room in the sitting room. Yeah. And we would watch TV and my dad would be changing the channel with his greasy roti hands. <laughs> yeah. Did your dad get to choose whatever was on the TV as well? All the time. Standard. And then he would fall asleep in front of the TV as well sometimes. And then, and like, pretend to be asleep. Or he'd be snoring. He'd be actually asleep. If he changed a channel, he'd wake up and go, I was watching that. <laughs> my dad, you were snoring. No. I was just resting my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I as kids growing up and stuff, we uh, had to sit in front of the TV because that was the only way we actually ate food. Uh, sitting on a table, as families should do, you know, because obviously, like, there's only so many times a day where the whole family's in one place at the same time, 
And I'd like to think in the future when we have kids and stuff, we'd all eat together on a table, but we're going to end up having the kind of kids that we were as kids, like rebellious little shits that would only eat food if we're watching like Thundercats or He-Man on TV. I was a good kid. Um, but yeah, did you also have the sofas with the plastic on them? No, but we used to go to people's houses and they had that and I found that really strange. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that's for the same reasoning. It's rank though, because you sit on it and you'd be like stuck to it after a little yeah, while. Yeah, that's the worst. And then you'd get up and it'd make that weird noise, you know, that kind of farting noise as you get up because you were stuck to it and you had to like kind of... It's the, it's the taking the panini sticker out, out of the packet yeah. and then, you know, taking it off that little... You know, the it was exactly surface. like that. It was horrible. Yeah. I used to hate going to those houses. Yeah, we knew a lot of those houses. I can't even remember if we did it ourselves. Um, Should I tell you one of my favourite little things? This might make me sound really weird though. Go on. You know when you get like a new phone or something with a screen and you get that bit of plastic that you have to peel away? Yeah. That gives me such satisfaction that I will leave it on there for as long as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that like when I do finally like peel it off, like it has to be a special moment for me and it feels really special when I do it. Right. I think I need to take you out more, Joe, to be, you've been too confined. Genuinely, it's like one of my favourite things to do because everything's so new and shiny and lovely and fresh. So I need to put that same kind of passion into our marriage. Okay. So that was the first thing on, on our list. The second thing, and this is something that I know a lot of people can relate to because I've seen it back then 25 30 years ago and throughout that time to this point today nothing has changed and that is frozen meti coriander dhania in ice cream tubs in your freezer yeah i'm not gonna lie i do that in our flat as well yes indeed but it's more the case of right now we look at the weather outside and how amazingly hot it is and you know just picture the scene Come back, long day working in the office, no aircon, sweating away whilst working hard, or in a classroom, exams, very, very difficult time of the year. Come to the end of the day, long commute either back home via tube or a long car journey, again, sweating away. Your car's aircon doesn't even work today. It's very sweaty, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of sweat. <laughs> A lot of heat, a lot of perspiration. <laughs> Sounds like a graphic erotic novel, doesn't it? A sweaty one. A sweaty one, yeah. Uh, so you perspire everywhere in all parts of your body. It's disgusting. And then, and then you get home and you're like, something has to give. I need something to appease this heat and sweat. I'm going to run to the freezer, grab a tub of cart door the strawberry one's my favorite and then you open it up with delight and it's coriander like i've that moment has happened to me so many times over the years and it's akin to the ending of a 10-year relationship with the woman you love the heartbreak is unbearable and that smell never goes out that tub. So if you ever want to reuse it for something, it's, but it, not, it's not possible to reuse it for anything other than some more coriander. But it's not even that. It's the fact that 
everything else in your freezer now stinks of coriander. The ice, the ice will always oh stink and taste God. of coriander. It doesn't matter if they're three shelves apart, the ice will always smell of it. Oh my always. God. Like this happens, like, like I'll go back to mum and dad's and stuff. Mum and dad never put any drink in the fridge. They have everything outside the fridge. There's a number of family households on your side that do that. And I don't understand. It's like a Gujarati aversion to cold drinks. I've, for whatever reason, they've got, you know, no, they've literally got no chill. <laughs> and so everything is outside. So I come there and I'm just like, instead of having warm juice, I might get some like ice out of the freezer. So like, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Beta, go for it. And so I go into the freezer and I get ice and the drink it tastes like, you know, one of those vegetable juices that you get with the multivitamins because uh, it's just tastes of like, it's orange with dania, meti, coriander. And sometimes, you know, you go to some people's houses and they, they'll be like a little bit, like a little leaf stuck to the le- to the ice. Or you'll be yeah. drinking, you drink, and then all of a sudden you'll see this green thing floating and you drink and you're like, huh? Where did this come from? Yeah. And you can't do anything because you're at someone's house. You've already started drinking the drink. So you have to either pretend that you're like, you're completely done. Your thirst is quenched. Or you just have to kind of carry on drinking and, and just hope that that leaf never touches your lips. What, what you normally have to do is, you know, when you drink a drink and then you, there is obviously this like something in there and you try to drink from the other side of the cup <laughs> to make sure that thing doesn't come. But that little leaf just follows your, wherever your lip goes, <laughs> it just follows you, follows you around the rim of the glass. So then you try twisting the, the glass to do the same thing again and it does exactly the same thing. And, you know, to some points it can get like, you know, that like it comes onto your lip and oh, you're just like. it's rank. It's, it's disgusting. really rank. But it doesn't matter because I keep them apart in our freezer and it still happens in our freezer as well. Yeah, like it, we'll have that, like the fourth one down will have like all the weird herbs and spices in, uh, in various cart door tubs. And then whatever's in the top compartment, which is like three floors higher, just smells of coriander. If you're an Asian, it's just your life. Another thing as well, also, if you were brought up with parents who had a shop, you would have sweet boxes. So, you know, like you get those penny sweets. Yeah. So they would come in big boxes, like plastic boxes. Yeah. That was our Tupperware at home. So we would always have like subjis and, you know, like like curries and stuff stored in that in the fridge. So we'd have Haribo cola bottle box. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it would have gobi in it. <laughs> yeah. That was our life. And like you'd go in and you'd be like, oh, you'd have like the roses tubs, you know, those ones you get at Christmas, the tins and stuff. Oh, yes. And you'd go in and go, oh, my God, there's a quality street in the fridge. Why is a quality street in the fridge? Let's go and have a look. No, it's, you know, sog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the thing is, you get these things for like your parents or extended family as like, you know, like proper gifts and stuff. Like, you know, like, because and, and these are the, the big the tin ones yeah the proper are quite ones. like are quite they're not, not cheap now so you buy them as a special occasion you know for, and, and give them to like you know your family your parents extended family yeah and then you find out they've just been used as vessels for curry in non-asian households they'll use them for like tins of biscuits and stuff you know they'll put their biscuits in it yeah in our house no my mum would put sag in it at least stick to the same basic food group if you're going to have a sweet-based item in these things in the first place, stick with the sweet-based items in there afterwards. <laughs> just fill them up with biscuits or just other sweets and stuff. Don't go on the other end of the spectrum and put like a savoury to a sweet because that just doesn't compute. It breaks your children's heart. 
Yeah. How many more children's hearts do you want to break, Asian parent? I've got achy breaky heart in my head. Okay. Da, 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 da. My achy breaky heart. Right. So the next thing on our list of legendary British Asian traits, another thing to connected with achy breaky hearts, stupidly expensive weddings inviting everyone you've ever met. Feel like ours. Yeah, so uh, a few shows ago, we spoke about our wedding over the course of two episodes of the Native Immigrants podcast. So if you want more information and more details about this specific topic, then you should listen in on those shows. But the fact of the matter is, in brief, that's exactly what Jojo B's parents did. They invited everyone they'd ever met to our wedding. Specifically, my dad. Yeah. So he there's a, there's a banwala that he once got a ban from. Back in the late 70s, um, just for a single bun, that person was the VIP in our reception. You joke. The lady from the bank came to my wedding. What? The lady from the bank came to my wedding reception. The lady from the bank? Yeah. What, he just so made... Madam and I had a business. My dad used to go in every week and make a deposit. That lady, she came. Literally everyone my dad's ever met. Oh my days. L- loads of random people that were there. Because we were looking at the wedding video and it was like, oh, who's that? He goes, oh, that's um, one of dad's old friend's nephews. And I'd be like, okay, does he still speak to that old friend? No. What the fuck is his nephew doing there? Well, because we got invited to their wedding and so now we have to exactly. return the favor. This is all bullshit, Asian bullshit. We went to someone's wedding 10 years ago and so now, even though we've not spoken to them since then, we have to invite them to your wedding because that's the way it's done. Yeah. Like, come on. Obviously, the big thing with Asians is one-upmanship. So to outdo your cousin's wedding or your extended family's wedding, is like the big thing. And it has been almost for the last like five or 10 years. So I remember when we were, when we were kids, going to an Asian wedding was like going to the local school uh, hall or the local church hall or the local bingo hall. Community centre. Community centre even. Plastic plates, farfar, you know, you'd be- Paper un- tablecloths. Paper tablecloths. Folding yeah, un- chairs. Your uncle would probably be the DJ and he'll just play cassettes. Like, you know, he'd play with the Gurbani soundtrack. You know what? These community centre weddings that I used to go to, they always used to have. Like a really wicked Bhangra band there. Because that was the thing back then. Yeah, You'd yeah, have yeah. live music. So I saw like Mulkeet Singh and Alap, Golden Star, all that. I saw all of them performing at weddings when I was a kid. Well, yeah, because I think, I think most people found that to be the norm. And it know? was affordable. And it was, and it was affordable. You know, now people are like inviting like Bollywood actors to their <laughs> wedding. Um, but they just show up the bride and groom. Don't do that. If you're getting married, don't invite or don't pay for a Bollywood actor to come to your wedding because they'll show you up. Exactly. They will look better than you and people will care more about them than you. Yeah. So don't. Yeah. Don't do it to yourself. Yeah, please. And start. And the only thing that we did that I think was like us trying to show that we were, you know, this is our wedding was our cake because our cake was quite extravagant. You know, thank you, Vera, from the Little Elephant Cake Company. And also my dad put lights on outside our house, which I thought was really cute. <laughs> I think that's quite a standard thing now. Because we <laughs> we live in the whitest area ever though. So people were like, why have you got Christmas lights up in the middle of June? Oh, my dad was like, oh, my daughter's getting married. And people were like taking, going, driving by really slowly, taking pictures and stuff. Mm. 
It was hilarious. Yeah. We didn't have lights on at our house during my wedding. Bear in mind, my parents live in Southall and everyone uh, who, uh, who have a wedding have lights on their houses. And not only that, they put, they put the lights across like three different houses in a row and stuff to accommodate that. There's at least one house every week when we go to see your mum and dad. Yeah. At least one house, different house that has lights. Yeah. Throughout the year. So there'll yeah. be like you know, dead cold of the winter to the, you know, the extreme heat of the summer. There are weddings happening throughout the year and they've all got at least lights. Even if they have the wedding in their back garden with like, you know, uh, you know, a made up priest and stuff that's just been ordained on the day. There's nothing wrong with a, with a back garden wedding. No, absolutely nothing wrong with it at all. Do what's within your budget. But they will still find the budget to put lights up on the outside of their house. Absolutely, because it looks amazing. It does look awesome. But my parents decided not to do it. And why was that? And that was because they thought it would attract robbers. I love your mum and dad, but they are the scariest scary cats ever. Yes, indeed. So they thought that because people would, be, would see that there's a wedding happening in the house, and because obviously there'll be Asians and loads of gold around everywhere, that people would come and rob us. So they decided not to get lights. Well, we had lights and you saw them. I did see that. I did see that. I had to go all the way to Newcastle to see lights for my <laughs> wedding. Um, but yes, Asians, stupidly expensive for absolutely no reason. And just invite, why invite absolutely everyone you met? Because you know the next wedding they have, they'll never invite you. And if they do, they'll just fucking complain about it anyway. Ah, anyway, another thing on this list was Roman pillars on your porch. <laughs> now, I can, I can wholeheartedly say this is not a very Gujarati thing to do. But it is a very Punjabi thing. It seems to be a very Punjabi thing in Southall. But not just in Southall, because I remember going to Canada, of all places, uh, and there's a, there's a town in Toronto called Mississauga, which is basically just like the Southall of Canada, because it's just full of Asians. And uh, I took a trip there with one of my uncles and stuff, and he was showing me around some of the houses. And then he was like, oh, okay, look, there, there's a, definitely a Punjabi living there. And it was like, oh, why is that? He was like, look. And there was two Roman pillars outside that person's house. But in Canada, they have like big houses, don't they? Because they have a lot of land. So they have big houses and so pillars make sense. But, the but having is... pillars on a you know, three-bedroom, semi-detached house in Southall, mm. it's not quite the same. No, no. Not especially because you've still got single glazing outside the, <laughs> on, the, on the windows. And uh, you've got like a, an old uh, you know, Ford Capri as your mayor. Souped up Ford Capri, I'd say. As your uh, car. In addition to the pillars as well now, people seem to have these like, you know, these Indian railings. Indian. Oh, yes. And they'll have like a lion's head. Oh, or yeah. Or they'll have a kanda or something on there as well. Or the Versace logo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Roman pillars, like, I used to be like, like, when I was around Southall, I used to see it more and more and more. And it's, like you said, it wasn't on like even detached houses. It was like on the standard terraced housing uh, around the town um it's a it's a, just a, a i guess it's a small way to glam up you know whatever you do have your home is your mansion exactly. no matter how big or small <laughs> exactly you know and if you can find ways to shine that shit up then go for it you know or just live in a normal house without any pillars in the front. Because <laughs> yeah. the thing is, you go into like, you know, if you're, if you're going around to your cousin's house or your extended family or friend's house, and they've got two Roman pillars. 
on the outside you you almost have a false sense of what actually is the situation once you've entered the house you get inside and it's just a normal house yeah not just even a normal house it'll have like indian wallpaper from the 80s flock wallpaper yeah lino carpet lino floor it's you know that that i don't know where you guys to have it back in the day in the mm. 80s we used to have this plastic oh, like yeah. clear lino we had that it, used to like a, like a almost like a red carpet style we had that in all of our family houses not in our own house yeah my mum always just used to cut you know like off cuts of carpet oh yeah of course she yeah. always just and she still does in our house she still does it. oh yeah the off cut and stuff in the living room big up always gets in the way of the front door for some reason as well you can't even open the door because that off cut is obviously already got a thick layer of underlay on the normal carpet <laughs> then you've got that like the the cut of it on top of that it's almost like five inches in the air it's got the frayed edges because my mum's not going to get it all like made, made nice around the edges it's just the frayed edges of a co- off cut of carpet yeah um, and the door's gone over it a couple of times, stuff like that, and then it's yeah. just like it's flapped it even more. Yeah, yeah, that's what we have. Not aesthetically pleasing, but it does avoid um, getting more huldy stains. Huldy stains are the, probably the reason for a lot of these Foot Asian traits. Well. You know, because some people, some people wear their shoes in the house. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole show in that, but yeah. that's disgusting. Don't yeah. wear your shoe in the house. Do not wear shoes into an Asian person's house. And if they are Asian and they allow you to wear shoes in it, maybe look at them slightly differently. Sometimes I say to people, if they come, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. In my head, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Take them off, take them off, take them off. But sometimes you feel like you can't force people into taking their shoes off. Yeah. But then you but can I kind want of... to. I want to wrestle them and take the shoes off them. You can, you can really see somebody's characteristics by the answer to that question. Like if you come in and it's like, um, and you say, oh, you don't have to take your shoes off. And they were like, okay, fine, I'll keep them on. You've got no respect. You've got no respect for the person's house you've been, you've entered. Yeah, you are no longer welcome in this house after you've left. It's scientifically proven to be massively unhygienic to wear shoes that you wear outside into your home. Yeah, you know. Because of everything that's on the pavement that you then bring into your house. Yeah, all those kind of empty syringes and, you know... Dog um, poo yeah all that shit literally all that shit yeah comes yep. with you imagine where all where you go through the day so you work traipsing through work god knows what who cleaned the work floors last time right when it happened you go into the loo at work someone's probably pissed on the floor you know guaranteed someone have you ever been to the ladies toys fucking disgusting anywhere you work women piss on the floor people because they hover don't they over Ladies, the bowl yeah oh yeah and you know i hate those people who hover but don't look back so they're pissed all over the seat fucking hell but they haven't bothered to clean it up afterwards women have no aim in life it's disgusting so imagine right so you've got people pissing shit all over your all over your feet and you bring it into your house and you go in your mm. kitchen and bleh, i want to be sick in my mouth okay yeah <laughs> we'll leave that one there Sorry, i got really passionate about that yes please don't wear shoes into our house and if you've come around before and you've worn shoes because we've said to you yeah you know it's it's okay keep them on you're a dick all right so anyway <laughs> <laughs> um another thing that we spoke about on this uh, list of legendary british asian traits is taking indian snacks into the cinema now I've been uh, guilty of this in my younger days in the past. Really? Yep, yeah, indeed. I was, uh, was a lot younger, to be honest. Actually, no, no, no. We didn't take Indian snacks into a cinema. I'll correct that. We took uh, a full McDonald's meal once. Oh, yeah, we've done that. I've taken a shawarma in there before as well. So that, how is that different to an Indian <laughs> snack then, for fuck's sake? You've got like garlic, you've got chili sauce. I went sauce. to a midnight showing. So? And I was really hungry and I was on Edgware Road. 
So I was like, I'm getting a shawarma and then I'm going to go to the Odeon Marble Arch and I'm going to go watch a film. And yeah, that's the, what I did. The worst thing is if somebody else did that and they were sat around us, I, for the whole like 90 minutes to two hours of the film, all I'd be hearing from you is, Foxy, Foxy. There was no one else in there. Foxy, and my friend like Foxy, lay down and went to sleep because she was tired. Foxy, and we'd been forced into Foxy. see, we'd been forced into seeing this film by one of my other friends. And I was like, well, if we're going, we're getting food first. So then I sat there eating. My friend was asleep. My other friend was just really happy just to be at the cinema. Right. So yes, that's the wor- That's probably like the most unusual thing I've taken into the cinema to eat. Yeah, well, you're a, a hypocrite, basically, because there's been times where we've gone into, um, we haven't had a chance to see many Asian, many Indian films in the cinema in the past few years. But every time we have, you can have that distinct smell of pakore and samosa. You hear the Tupperware open, yes. that pop of the lid. Yeah. And you're like, oh, no. You then know the exactly smell what hits, this is. The smell hits like a second later and you're like, oh, damn it. I really yeah. wish I could have a pakora. And they wouldn't, yeah, normally in any other point in time in life, that kind of smell would immediately send my taste buds riveting. But when you're in a cinema and it's already quite, you know, claustrophobic and packed in there. And it smells of everybody's collective, like cooking smells from home. Yeah, because everyone brings in different things. I remember this one time, this guy had like chicken wings, like Indian chicken wings, like into the cinema. And so they had tissues and stuff. They were passing around the tissues amongst themselves in their row. And they had Indian chicken wings in the cinema. I really wish you could see my face right now. Yeah. Just of disgust. Like, what the hell? You know what that face is? That face is the person that was sitting next to you a couple of rows down when you were having your fucking shawarma in your... Nobody was there. There was just the three of us. I think we were watching Hitch. Midnight showing. Oh, you sad, sad person. It was a long time ago. You sad, sad animals. But we never took Indian snacks into the cinema. My dad was always very much like, we we didn't go to see Indian films anyway when we were kids. We used to go and see like Indiana Jones and stuff. And my dad was very much like snacks at the cinema. So we'd take some sweets from the shop because obviously we weren't going to buy sweets at the cinema that cost three times as much when we can get them for free from our own shop. So we used to take those and sneak them in. But then there'd be popcorn, sometimes like, Hot dogs. Uh, but yeah, cinema wasn't really a thing for us as kids. Um, so we just made up for it and lost time, to be honest, since then, by going there all the fucking time. My dad's since. a film buff. Yeah, he is indeed. Films and guzzles, as we found out the hard way. Um, we'll have one more on this list, and the rest of them you're going to have to check out in Eastern Eye yourself, and which is available in Asian news agents and any real good news agent, to be honest, everywhere. Um, and that is... Supporting Liverpool and Man United. <laughs> now, obviously, this is something that's close to my heart. Um, as many of you may or may not know, or might not have sussed already from my accent, I'm not a Liverpudlian. I've not been born in Liverpool. Uh, and uh, I've only visited there during games. But I support Liverpool and have done my whole life. 30 plus years now, passionately. Why do I support Liverpool? Why do you, my love? Because I'm Asian. (laughs) And that's what we do. That's exactly right. (laughs) Asians have um, a very uh, storied past when it comes to Liverpool and Man United. Um, I'd, you know, the, the, the cynic would say that Asians were glory grabbers basically in the 80s. And we just went for the biggest team of that period, which was Liverpool, obviously, during the time. And then you'll find the people that are 
in their like early 30s, late 20s, a lot of them are Man United fans. Yes, they are. Because they were also glory grabbers during the 90s of them growing up. Yes. Um, but I'd like to think it is more to do with the fact that, you know, Liverpool is a very working class city. There's a lot of industry. And that was also the same as our community. Um, and the fact, you know, coming to this country and working, getting and getting involved in the industries, um, you know, it's something that we could relate to with Liverpool. You know, I love this bullshit kind of theory that you come up with to justify supporting a team from a city that you've hadn't even been to for until you were like a grown man. Mm. See, now I'm Newcastle till I die. But you weren't though. No, so right. This, uh-huh. is how, this is how it works. This is no, how it works. Georgia so B. my family, like I was born in Derby. I wasn't born in Newcastle. I was born in Derby. Moved to Newcastle when I was one years old. So I learned to speak there. That's my home. That's all I know, really. But my family, a lot of my family are still based in Derby and everyone's a huge Derby fan. We have very few of these kind of Man United Liverpool fans in our family. We have mostly Derby fans. So that's what I grew up with. So my dad, my dad used to be on the terraces at the baseball ground when he when we lived there and when he was working. So he he was a big Derby fan. So that kind of like was instilled in me. So I was in my earlier years, I was a Derby fan. And, you know, going to be honest, I still am. I still like to follow them a little bit. But I came to my senses and I was like, I'm from Newcastle. I'm a Geordie. I can't be a real Geordie if I don't support Newcastle United. So now, you know, I wear the tune. So you're um, uh, a traitor. I'm not a traitor to anyone. Because you changed teams. No, how can, but how can I be a traitor to my two hometowns? So I'm not, am I? Because I still follow Derby. Derby went into the first, di- well, the first division. Oh my God, how old am I? Um, into old. the championship and have remained there. And so they're my championship team. Newcastle are in the Premier League most of the time. And so they're my Premier League team. When they're both, when they were both in the championship, that was a difficult time for me. So if, yeah, if Newcastle played Derby, where would your allegiances lie? I can't lie, it's Newcastle. Or are you going to take that Derby fan? My Derby family know I love them. It's fine. But, you know, I mean, they're both black and white teams. But, um, you know, black and white till I die. Yes. Well, to be fair. And at least I come from those places. Well, actually, saying that, I also support my local league team, which is Brentford FC. Come on the bees. It's like, you know, when I was a child and stuff, sporting Liverpool, yeah, yada, yada and stuff. And obviously that's, my, that's the team of my heart. That's the team I'm most passionate about. But, you know, the older you get, you learn to appreciate local football, your local teams, the teams that are closest to you. And Brentford was that team. You know, they were the local league club for us. And so I started going to Brentford games, you know, and obviously because of proximity, I managed to see a lot more Brentford games than I do for Liverpool. Because We've of been Liverpool to a based. few. We have indeed. It's really know. fun. It is really fun because, you know, it's a local community. It's West London. And from where I live in Southall, that was the closest league club. I used to go down Southall and people used to have like Brentford stickers out on their windows and things like that. So, and then I remember I went to this pizza hut once and they had a whole Brentford FC day there at the local pizza hut in Southall. That's amazing. Yeah, it was nuts. And it was like, oh my God, so this is our local club. I'm going to start following our local club. And I've followed them ever since. And I've gone to all our playoff games. 
in at Wembley. We've lost them all, unfortunately. But now we're in the championship and we've got a chance to see them play. We got a chance to see them play against Derby a couple of times, your family's team. I was in the Brentford end. Yeah. But I also went to go see Newcastle Brentford as well. I was in the Newcastle end, obviously. Yeah. Well, you know. But yeah, so I do follow my local team. I do follow my local club, but Liverpool is my heart. That's my first club. That's my first love. And, you know, to this day, I'm still as passionate about them as I was 30 odd years ago. And that's the same as many other Asians that I know. You know, most of the people I know in my life that are into football will support Liverpool as well. Um, you know, my brother supports Man United because he's a few years younger than me. He's followed that trend. People in their late 20s, early 30s are all Man United fans. And you get people in the same age group that are Liverpool fans because their older cousins and older brothers and dads are all big Liverpool fans themselves. Um, I go to some nights out for Liverpool games at some of the Asian bars and clubs and stuff that, you know, serve all, you know, Indian food and get drinks and stuff. And it's just packed full of Asians all supporting Liverpool, all supporting their team, you know, knowing all the songs, all the players, all the chants. Um, and they all talk amongst each other about going to games on a weekly basis and stuff from London every single week that is passion um and that is that's what being a football fan is all about you know and it's you know it's something that's very inherently asian it's something that we do very passionately get stuck into uh and football is one of those things it's because we love drama we love the highs and lows and if you're a newcastle fan you'll know there's many many lows (laughs) but when the highs happen they're really good highs yeah. And you just love that roller coaster. Yeah, the emotional roller coaster of of being a football fan. You know, we watch Indian films, emotional roller coasters. We watch football, emotional roller coasters. You know, it comes, I guess, with being Asian. You know, it's 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 part of our culture. It's part of our blood. It's almost part of our DNA. Um, but it's what makes us who we are. And the list of things that we spoke about right there were some legendary British Asian traits. Um, And there's a lot more that we spoke about on this list, but to hear about them, you're going to have to buy this week's issue of Eastern Eye to find the native immigrants in there. Get there because it'll be out until this Friday by the time you listen to this show. And if you can't get to it, then follow us on our social media platforms because we've got an image of the article itself. So you can actually read for yourself exactly all the things that we spoke about in there and see if you can relate to them also. And let us know if you've got any extra ones. What have we forgotten? We've probably forgotten some corkers. Yeah, absolutely. This is things that we've had during our lives and our childhoods, but there are plenty of other things that you find your parents doing that you just, you know, like can't get your head around, you know, why they're doing these things. Um, And just that you find yourself doing now yourself. Yeah, because eventually you will start to slowly morph into your parents, whether you like it or not. It just, That's exactly what we've done. Yeah, it, um, it's only a matter of time, basically, before I start calling Sri Lanka Ceylon. And um, and not using each other's names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I call I call you our child names, Gimami. Yeah, Papuki Daddy. Papuki Daddy, yeah. Miku Gimami. But yes, another thing, yeah, that Asians do. But please, check out this week's issue of Eastern Eye and um, let us know what you think. Share your thoughts, share your experiences. At us, at Nimmigrants on Twitter and follow us on The Native Immigrants on Facebook and Nimmigrants on Instagram as well. Right, that is the end of another week of The Native Immigrants podcast. I will also say that something we'll be looking forward to 
in the next few weeks, Jojo B. Uh huh. You and I will be finally, after many uh, people have spoke to us about this already in the past,、mm-hmm. uh, and one that we've painstakingly avoided, but have now just surrendered to. We're going to be having guests on our show, so you can look forward to us interviewing some British Asians and maybe some not British Asians as well to talk about just some people. Yeah, just other human <laughs> beings. You know, people that just aren't us. So it's going to be quite weird. How is the dynamics going to go on the show, Jojoby? Will they ruin it? Probably, you know. But we'll have to like try to curb their enthusiasm and just bring them back down to earth by、uh, telling them about all their flaws. And bursting all their egos,、um, but the most important thing for us is to find out what being British Asian means to them. You know, so whether we'll have musicians or actors, actresses, people from the literary world,、um, politicians, scientists, gigolos,、um, gigolos. You know what? No one. There is no filters on this show. Anyone is welcome. So if you're a great British Asian gigolo in your field. You're welcome to come on and talk about your industry, and also talk to us what British Asian means to you. And you're jiggling. And you're jigg- and you're jiggling.、Um, so yeah, look forward to us talking to some guests in future shows, and the first ones will be coming up very very soon. Right, that's the end of another week's episode of the Native Immigrants Podcast. I am Swami Barakas, and I'm Jojo B. I will catch you all again another time, people. Peace. See ya.